Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. We came very close to a catastrophic breakdown of our democratic accountability. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. Right now, we're kind of stuck in this cycle where every summer we're hearing another story about a big fire and a town burning down. It's still extremely difficult to hold government agencies accountable for abuses that take place in the name of national security. This is KCBS In-Depth. California's snowy mountain ranges. They are iconic features of the state's natural splendor, and they're also crucial sources of water as they melt off in the spring and summer, replenishing our waterways and reservoirs. But with climate change gathering force, the Sierra Nevada and other ranges could be facing a nearly snowless future in only a few decades. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, I'm Keith Menconi, and that is the jarring prediction laid out in a recent study led by researchers at the Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory. Since it was published, the paper has sent shockwaves throughout the state as scientists and average residents alike try to wrap their heads around the possibility that such a central feature of the California landscape could change so drastically and so soon. Well, today on the program, we're going to check in with the authors behind the study to hear how they reached their unnerving conclusion and what could be done to prepare. So we're going to welcome them on now. First, saying hello to Erica Cirilla Woodburn, a research scientist in the Energy Geosciences Division at Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory. Erica Cirilla Woodburn, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Hello. Thank you for having me on the show. Also welcoming on Alan Rhodes, who is a hydroclimate researcher also with Berkeley Lab. Welcome, Alan Rhodes. Thanks for having us. So I think when uh, a lot of us think about the impact of climate change on California, probably the images that are coming most readily to mind would be wildfires sweeping through the landscape, uh, maybe uh, shorelines uh, being swallowed up by the rising ocean. But 
Uh, this study is really planting the flag that there is uh, another climate disaster that we need to be thinking about as well, the loss of California's snowpack. Uh, walk us through, uh, Erica, maybe you could get us started here. Walk us through what you're saying this could look like in the coming decades. Sure. So, yeah, exactly as you said, I think part of the motivation for this study was really to elevate the what's going on in, in the Western U.S. and other mountain communities um, across the globe, really, in that as the climate warms, we are getting this diminishment of our snowpack. And we really wanted to elevate this topic because snowpack is this really important natural reservoir. And it, um, it provides so much water in arid regions uh, such as the Western US. And so as we think about future climate change and kind of what that means for large scale water management, um, we really needed more information in terms of sort of the timeline of snowpack loss and maybe eventually disappearance um, and to really put forward some climate adaptation strategies to sort of help us prepare for this um, possible future. Yeah. And when you mentioned timeline a moment ago, I think that that's the part of this that is really the the most shocking for California residents, because we're not talking about something happening 100 years from now. We're talking about uh, major losses in snowpack happening only potentially 35 years from now, just a, a few decades. Uh, Alan Rhodes, uh, if you could jump in, maybe talk a little bit more about what that timeline is potentially going to look like. Yeah. So um, one, one major um, point about our paper is that it's a review paper. So it really builds off of the work of um, lots of hard work over the last 50 years in academia. Um, and with that kind of literature synthesis vibe to the paper, um, we were able to synthesize about 18 different studies of snowpack projections. And what we found is that uh, snow loss could be on the order of about 20% by mid-century, Western US wide. And if carbon emissions continue unabated, uh, more than 50% by end century. And with coastal mountains such as the Cascades and the Sierra Nevada facing more amplified losses than the interior mountain ranges such as the Rockies or Wasatch and Winter. And the degree of change that we're talking about, I mean, are we, are we really talking about a day in perhaps the 2050s that could come where we, we look up at the uh, Sierra Nevada and we're seeing bare mountaintops in the winter? Is, that, is it really that dramatic of a change that we're talking about, Alan Rhodes? Yeah, I think so. Another aspect of our paper was, you know, by looking at these 18 different studies, well, dozens of studies, really, but 18, we could actually get uh, future projections from. We found that there's kind of inconsistencies across papers in terms of how they define a low to no snow future. And so we tried to come up with our own definition. And that definition uh, is based on the kind of peak amount of snowpack combined with this kind of percentile approach that's often used by the U.S. Drought Monitor. And so we define low to no snow as when the peak snowpack in any given mountain range is less than or uh, equal to about 30th percentile over, say, a 50-year historical period. Um, and so this kind of low to no snow uh, metric can, you know, in terms of a historical analog can be thought of as the 2015 year in this year in Nevada where we were 5% of normal. But another aspect of our definition is it's not just the magnitude of snow loss. It's all this, also the sequencing of years. And so our definition also tried to aim at defining what is called an extreme low to no snow period, which is back-to-back -back years of that 30th percentile peak sweet or less. Uh, so comparable to maybe 2015 kind of period or 2012 to 2016 drought period. Um, and then we also tried to you know, look at 
when an episodic or a persistent low to no snow period might occur. And so that's the five to 10 year period of back-to-back -back low to no snow years. And so uh, some of the projections that we did as a proof of concept or an analysis we did on one of the projections, which is uh, which came about from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, uh, we found that low to no snow in an episodic sense could occur by 2050. Hmm. So uh, 2050, yeah, not talking about, again, the deep, dark uh, future, really something that's... <laughs> Uh, we need to start planning for right now. And I, I think that that's some of the idea of uh, getting this information out there. Let's, uh, before we start uh, building that picture of what needs to be done, though, let's uh, really come to terms with what that could mean uh, in a practical sense for California. Uh, Erica Cirilla Woodburn, tell us a little bit, uh, what does this mean for California's water system if we do face year in, year out of really low amounts of snow building up? Uh, how important is that snowpack to California's water system? Yeah, great question. So uh, snowpack in California provides uh, approximately 30% of water resources across the state. Um, and it, it really functions in two critical ways, apart from just um, sort of that large percentage of our, of our water portfolio. The first is just that it provides a place to store water. So snowpack literally is sort of this natural reservoir. We don't have to construct man-made reservoirs that holds it uh, naturally in, in mountain systems. Um, and secondly, the sort of timing of snowpack release is really important um, in terms of when that snowpack occurs. So uh, precipitation falls throughout the winter and it's sort of retained in that natural reservoir until the spring when snowmelt snow occurs and um, that, that meltwater is essentially released closer in time to when water demands are, are highest in, in summer and um, early fall. And so um, thinking about a future where we get more precipitation in the form of rain and less in the form of snow, um, you know, some of these kind of uh, assumptions around how and, and, and the ways in which we manage water in the Western US um, certainly become challenged and in some cases could even start to fail. And we're talking about there the uh, reservoirs and just where we've built our water infrastructure and, and how it's been constructed. It's all been built on the assumption that we would get this these later discharges of uh, melting water. What, what, what are some of the ways in which that could fail? Sure. I mean, I think just in, in terms of um, apart from California, but I think just Western U.S. wide, um, you know, water is is uh, moved over really uh, long distances. Um, so you think about the snowfall in the upper Colorado river basin, for example, um, makes its way to Los Angeles. And so I think it's an issue of just um, thinking about where um, we as a society have chosen to, to live and um, sort of this complex, complex infrastructure connected to our natural system that is really reliant on sort of the that both magnitude of uh, water delivery in the in the streams and also the timing at which the streams flow. All right, a lot more to talk about here, but I do want to reintroduce you both real quick. If you're just joining us, this is KCBS In-Depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Manconi. Today on the program, 
We're speaking with the authors behind a jarring new paper that predicts a not-so-distant future in which winters with hardly any snowfall could become the norm in California. Those authors are Erica Sorella Woodburn, who we just heard from a second ago, also Alan Rhodes, uh, both with Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory. So I'm not sure who wants to take this one, but let's talk a little bit about the causes behind snow loss. It seems like a big part of the story here is climate change. How is that translating into less snow falling and less snow being retained in that snowpack? Yeah, so uh, snow loss has already started to occur over the historical period. We have basically warmed in the western U.S. on average by about a degree Celsius or 1.8 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, And so this steady warming of temperature has basically made it really hard to maintain snow levels at their historical peak amounts. Uh, And so um, this kind of peak amount of snowpack is often measured at around April 1st. Uh, And so what research has shown is that since the 1950s, that April 1st snowpack has decreased by about 20% across 90% of the reporting stations. And that's roughly equivalent to Lake Mead's worth of water. And so you can imagine that as we continue to emit carbon, uh, which is a little bit uncertain heading into the future, we still have time to not emit that carbon. But if we were to continue to emit and get to say a one and a half degree world, two degree world, three degree world, this is where you start to see that you know freezing point of water basically become non-negotiable and that um, every degree of warming leads to that freezing point of water not being able to be met and more of the precipitation that falls comes down as rain rather than snow. Um, and so, especially for the coastal mountain ranges, as I mentioned earlier, this becomes a bigger issue because a lot of the storms that drive the precipitation in any given year come from relatively warm uh, storms called atmospheric rivers, uh, which can be upwards of 50% of our precipitation here in California. And so these storms are already making landfall and depositing precipitation at or near freezing. And I think it's around 40% of the, the storms in both the Cascades and Sierra are already at or near freezing. So you can imagine in this one and a half, two degree, three degree world as we continue to emit carbon, will push more and more of those storms um, above the freezing uh, point. Hmm. Let's uh, talk a little bit more about the other impacts that this might have, because we're not just talking uh, about water loss necessarily. It's uh, the whole ecosystem, the whole uh, many systems uh, are, are, are tied up in uh, how this snow melt works. Uh, your paper touching on the impacts on soil, plants, wildlife, uh, other things. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, Erica, uh, maybe you could speak to the broader impacts that we could see as well beyond uh, just uh, water conservation. Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, I think you you got that right. Um, so certainly with a warmer climate, as we expect less snowpack, there um, are all these kind of cascading um, processes and sort of considerations that need to be made in terms of um, our overall water uh, water cycle, but then how that impacts um, ecosystem health, how it impacts um, uh, vegetation and, you know, endangered species, um, that are really reliant on some of this, um, this snowpack and associated melt has all these sort of, um, kind of connected, uh, uh, pieces that I think need to be considered. So, um, yeah, you touched on, for example, wildfires, that's something we're already observing in recent years, right? We we were seeing these, uh, sort of unprecedentedly large and intense wildfires given uh, drier uh, fuel conditions, um, which certainly is associated with um, sort of the timing and persistence of snowpack. 
And, um, you know, that has, again, uh, another feedback after you have a wildfire because you have um, ash distribution, which sort of can move um, long distances and have their impacts on, on the sort of water energy balance as well. Um, so yeah, we really advocate in our study that there's some sort of key knowledge gaps in, in providing um, sort of a, a really good linkage in, in some of these connections, but some of them, you know, we do know to exist. Um, and so I think it's just a matter of thinking about how some of these um, kind of non-linearity feedbacks in, in our water energy cycle um, will kind of play out in the future. Hmm. And I, I suppose that that all just kind of speaks to the breadth of this problem. I mean, when we talk about climate change, we are talking about something that is going to change every aspect of how we live our lives and how we run our societies over the next uh, many decades. And uh, here is just one example of uh, something that uh, I think we all took snow-topped mountains in California uh, as just for granted. You know, that is what California has. That's what it will have forever. And here we are seeing this uh, potential for this rapid pace of change. Um, so far, we've really been talking, I think, more in kind of the practical implications for all this, how this could make it harder for us to run our California society that we have. But, there, you know, there's an emotional side to this as well. And I see uh, Alan Rhodes, uh, you have the snow-topped mountains as your Zoom background right there. Uh, so uh, wondering if you could speak to that issue. You know, this is a, a way of California life, being able to go to the mountains in the winter. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I was a, just a kid that grew up in the Sierra. You know, I grew up in both Nevada City and uh, Incline Village, Lake Tahoe. And so it's particularly hard to fathom this kind of low to no snow future. Um, but yeah, uh, what we're really seeing is a consensus across our models and our peer reviewed literature that there's a consistent future of less reliable snowpack hitting into the into a you know, warmer, warmer future. Um, but yeah, it re really requires urgent action because we still have time to mitigate snow loss by curbing our carbon emissions. And our real hope with this paper is to make these projections less and less likely. Um, but, you know, if we, we don't end up um, mitigating the carbon emissions heading into the future, we also want to be sure that we're proactive rather than reactive about how we adapt to this potential low to no snow future. Um, and I just wanted to really emphasize that there are blueprints right now that are available, you know, written by very smart folks at Berkeley Lab, Saul Griffith and his work on electrifying the nation. All of these kind of blueprints are available, and it just really takes the will and the action to implement them. Um, and if we do that, we can maybe ensure that you know future kids who grew up in the Sierra uh, can enjoy a snowy future. is a time of renewal so why not refresh your home with a little help from blinds.com we make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact choose from premium blinds shades and shutters we even have options for your patio too Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You are listening to KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Manconi. Today on the program, we're speaking with Erica Sorella woodburn and Alan Rhodes with Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory, discussing their new paper that lays out an unnerving vision of a not-too-distant future in which California winters see hardly any snow. So, uh, Alan Rhodes, uh, you, you, you mentioned that there are some roadmaps for what could be done to mitigate this. I, I mean... Uh, how how big of uh, a divergence should we be thinking about in terms of the different paths that we could be on? Uh, how much could action now make a difference for these uh, predictions that you're making? Yeah, you can really see it in our paper. If you look at um, some of the figures, you know, the end century results have some divergence across the studies. If they use what's called the RCP 8.5 emission scenario versus the RCP 4.5 scenario. And that's just an assumption of how socioeconomic development occurs uh, around the globe. Um, and so the, the idea is that, you know, in these higher emission scenarios heading into the future, the snow loss gets, you know, beyond 50%. And if uh, we can kind of stabilize emissions and maybe um, move towards more renewable sources of energy, um, especially by 2050, that we start to see the snow loss, you know, being below 50%. Mm. And uh, Erica Cirilla Woodburn, what would getting ready for this major change look like in California, given, you know, as uh, you've been discussing how central this snowmelt is to the way that we've built out our water infrastructure in California? How could we how could we change our game plan? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Um, so we discuss uh, kind of a portfolio of different approaches. Some of them are more um sort of have been around for a longer period of time. Some of them are more uh, new. And uh, some examples of that are our um, forecast informed reservoir operations, which is relatively new. And that's the idea of um, sort of allowing reservoir operations to be a little bit more flexible giving, given advancements in uh, forecasting of, of storms. And so if we know that, for example, a, a big atmospheric river isn't coming in, in the next few days or within a week, but um, 
you know, schedules for a large reservoir release are on the books, we can sort of hold off that release of our of a of the reservoir outflow to kind of maintain some of that water that would other be lost uh, water that would otherwise be lost to the ocean. And so it's sort of just a less conservative way to manage reservoirs, which are typically um, managed around sort of this kind of dual purpose to um, you know allow for for um, for the, the, the highest amount of water in the reservoir, but also to ensure that there isn't flooding, you know, kind of down gradient of that reservoir. Um, we also point to managed aquifer recharge, which is sort of um, been around for a long time in some places like Orange County, where they've been using reused water, um, sort of, sort of in uh, their local basins, also to prevent um, saltwater intrusions in their aquifers. Um, but the idea is sort of to potentially use that approach, um, per, perhaps more widespread across the state, um, and especially with agriculture. And it's essentially a way to um, use overflow or excess water from periods of some of these larger storms and sort of um, help it infiltrate into, into the subsurface. And so we can sort of tap into those subsurface aquifers in a, in a time in which we have uh, low precipitation. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, you know, but of course there's also, you know, things that are also more mature, so like desalination, um, and just conservation in general. So we kind of point to sort of all these things being important together. Hmm. Is this a problem that we can build our way out of? I mean, if we just built more dams and reservoirs, uh, eventually would we be catching enough water to sort of make up for this loss? Or, uh, I mean, it sounds like what you're suggesting is, it's something we need to get smarter about as, as much as we do need to just keep building. Right. Yeah. I like the term uh, or the saying, think smarter, not harder. Um, mm. <laughs> but in this case, I think the reservoir piece is um, sort of complicated, but I think it's important to note that reservoir um, construction can last, you know, that that's a really long process. That can be something that requires decades in terms of permitting um, and, and even just the construction alone. So I don't think, you know, part of our study was to really try to uh, better constrain the timeline of snowpack loss sort of within that, um, that, that line of thinking around reservoir um, uh, construction or, um, you know, retrofits even to make some of our existing reservoirs uh, able to hold more water. I think it's, you know, obviously an important approach in, in some places, um, but it's, it's definitely not um, going to be the single thing that I think we can look to, um, given the timeline. Mm. And just bringing the focus in a little bit closer to the here and now, obviously, we have a lot of hopes riding on the rainfall and snowfall for this uh, particular wet season that we're in right now in California. Although uh, at this point, it doesn't seem like we're getting quite as much as we're hoping for. Uh, it's general consensus uh, going forward seems to be that the drought is going to persist into next year. Uh, Alan Rhodes, uh, I, I know that you are a long-term uh, climatologist, long, so looking at the long-term forecast, but uh, can we draw any connections between the relative weak snowfalls that we've been seeing in recent years to these broader trends that uh, you're talking about um, in this paper? Yeah, I certainly think that that's true. I mean, um, you look at this year, we had a, a big atmospheric river event that uh, came in October, got us up to about 20 year, uh, 20, sorry, 20% of our water year total in terms of average precipitation. 
uh, and then kind of stops, uh, storms start rolling through. And as a result, the snowpack that, you know, had been deposited by that storm quickly ablated or was lost to, um, you know, the soils because they were relatively dry. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's hope in the coming uh, forecast for uh, a snowstorm in the, uh, coming through. Uh, we'll see how large that snowstorm is, but certainly I don't think it will push us out of drought conditions that we're currently experiencing uh, throughout California and Nevada. Yeah. Yeah. So just all part of this broader picture. But perhaps also something that could drive the urgency of this issue home to average Californians. And I think that that's the point that I want to leave on just what your outlook is uh, in terms of how much this message is uh, getting across to the folks that are in a position to act on, you know, some of the recommendations that you're making here, uh, because this is a paper, as we mentioned earlier in the program, that has gotten an awful lot of press, an awful lot of attention. Uh, Speaking to you guys before we turned on these mics, it sounds like you've been plenty busy uh, speaking with folks uh, ever since this paper has come out. So, you know, based on that reaction, do you have the sense that the message and this this, uh, urgent call for action uh, that you're trying to put out there, uh, do you have a sense that it's getting across? You know, I think I think we've been... um you know, happy with some of the, some of the uh, media attention, for example, and we've heard really encouraging things from colleagues and um, from stakeholders and also water managers who have been writing us and saying, yes, we, we've been thinking about this and this is a great piece of uh, literature to point to, you know, in terms of um, support for some of the things that that they would like to see um, changes in, in in the policy or in just the way that um, sort of their day-to-day or even longer-term operations are handled. So in that way, it's been um, it's been pretty encouraging. But of course, I think we're always pushing for for more and for some you know real action in terms of um, more support for research in this field. In terms of um, thinking about. Uh, connections between the atmosphere and the subsurface, some of these sequencing of low to no snow years, we really don't have analogs for how that's gonna play out in the future. Um, and so I think it is alarming to folks, um, you know, both the, the lay person, but also people who are kind of deeply in, involved, invested in, in water in the West. Um, but I think, um, but I think it shouldn't be like this doom and gloom. It shouldn't be a depressing thing, which we've also gotten a bit of recently as well. I think there's a lot of smart people working on this. And I think as if, you know, we really um, band together and, and call for some action for this to be on the same level of um, sort of importance as wildfires and sea level rise or other climate disasters, um, then I think, you know, some real action can happen. So that's our hope. All right. Well, uh, I guess that's a good point to end it on then. Always good to end on a hopeful note in uh, these sorts of conversations about climate change. We have been speaking one last time to Erica Serla Woodburn. She's a research scientist in the Energy Geosciences Division at Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory. Erica Serla Woodburn, thanks for being on KCBS In Depth. Thank you so much. And we've also been hearing from Alan Rhodes, who is a hydroclimate researcher, also with Berkeley Lab. Alan Rhodes, thanks to you as well. Thanks for the opportunity. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Menconi. Stay safe, be well. We'll see you next week. 
You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.